0: Poker's legendary champions, next-generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson.
1: Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is Unibet-sponsored Twitch streamer and dear friend of OGCPG guest, Lyle Bateman, who I can't say enough kind words about, Emily, risk it for biscuit, Glancy. Prior to the last couple of years, Emily was solely a live poker player, but because of reasons that I hope are obvious to you in this day and age, was forced to make the transition to online poker. Despite some hiccups early on, Emily, ever the tenacious and strong-willed competitor, has been steadily leveling up her game by putting in the necessary blood, sweat, and tears, while also leveraging the wisdom provided to her by past CPG guests, Unibet pros, and hosts of the Chip Race podcast, Dara O'Kearney, David Lappin, and Ian Simpson. So without any further ado, sit back, strap in, and get ready to learn more about up-and-comer Emily Risk It For Biscuit, Glancy's Poker Origin Story, right here on Chasing Poker Dreams. Good morning for me and afternoon for you, Emily. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Brad. Um, Yeah, an honor. First ever podcast I've been on, so... I hope I do all right. I'll I think you'll to... be
1: fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you'll be fine. You know, uh, the first question that I tend to ask on the show is about your story. You know, where you're coming from, what led you into the world of poker? Uh, I know this is a social faux pas, but, you know, how old you are so that we could like set the timeline oh. for when you oh. enter poker. Oh. I know, I know. We're starting off. <laughs> I
2: can't bleep that bit out when I tell no. Um. So I'm 33. Oh my god. Seriously. I know I look 55, but believe it or not, I'm 33. Um. So. So yeah. When did I start playing poker? My. I've got a bit of a weird story actually. So I think I. um I think I was kind of um allured to the prospect of putting something in and winning something back. I think I got from my granddad. Um from when I was probably about six and please don't put this down to like bad parenthood or grandparenthood but he had a um, a slot machine um, in his house um, and I think I was quite um, allured by all the, the flashing lights and things like that but I felt that I could put money in but then I could actually take the money from where it came and keep putting it back so I wasn't really um, in the knowledge at six of the fact that that money couldn't be could, you couldn't just get it back out and start putting it in again but the whole idea of winning and things like that i've always been a very very um competitive person Play competitive sports and things so uh winning is kind of uh or the, the the quest to winning quest to be the best has always kind of been throughout childhood but i think poker came into my life probably when i was about 13 and again, just makes me sound like my parents just didn't like look out. No, it was me. It was me being like I had a TV in my bedroom and um, I used to stay up and watch the programs, which were probably not meant for a 13 year old, uh, like South Park and and things like that, that would just definitely pass watershed. And and one of those things um, that, that came up was um, like Poker After Dark, Late Night Poker um so we are going back 20 years jesus that's like more than half god um and uh yeah i just remember seeing these people um you know with all the you know with everything was low lit and like everybody had shades on and they were playing you know they you know when the mics used to be like on the chips and you could hear the chip and it was just you know, and I just remember, and everybody just, and it just seemed, I was mesmerised by it. I was absolutely mesmerised by it. And like, we're talking about like the, the poker greats, like, you know, um, Devilfish, Roland DeWolf, like Doyle Brunson, Wendigrano, you know, when they were, when, when poker and TV really was just at its height. And I just remember watching poker players, but in particular, watching the female poker players at that time so like um Burry, Victoria Coran Mitchell, Anna Oberstad and uh Jennifer Tilly around that time I'm just thinking oh my god those women are just so fearless and they were playing in a in a in a, in a, in a field against men and, and holding their own and and it felt like even from the age of 13 there was a sense I think that I can describe it now as empowerment and I was just very very much drawn to it and and would watch it and then when I was about 16 um, I went to college and in our common room area um, the guys um, had a table and they had cash on the table Again,
1: it makes it all sound very
2: seedy,
1: doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, to, to, to interject uh, a, a little bit, you know, I, I don't think there's much judgment here with the CPG listener. Uh, I know that. I think Patrick Howard told a story of um, being 11 years old. I think he was playing poker and like grinding at 11. Um, Jack Lasky also started at like 12 years old and lots of stories about, you know, grandparents or family members introducing poker to To them at a young age, um, maybe there's some survivor bias based on the guests that I have on this show as to whether or not that's good or bad. But, um, yeah, I think it is a thing that's pretty common. And I, I remember playing seven card stud with my grandparents. And, and my dad and my uncles when I was probably seven years old playing like Penny Annie seven card stud. I, I vividly remember that. And I don't remember a ton from when I was little. So it must've been pretty meaningful or impactful for me. And I, I think that's just like, you know, a common thing.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I can even remember playing like German whist um, and even snap, but it was anything that involved a winner. I would always try and win. And, you know monopoly or i mean tell me about that.
1: that uh try to win what does that look like for you
2: well i just think yeah i don't i don't know where i mean i think my dad was a pretty competitive person i mean he played um semi professional football when he was in his youth um the other, i mean the, i find that i'm very much with the exception of my dad probably the 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 exception like i am the most driven the most competitive and my mum doesn't she's she's not like that my brother's not like that my grandparents aren't like that so I'm kind of very much the black sheep and I there's always been it's almost like with like because I've played competitive sports since I was probably about five I started playing tennis and and things like that and funnily enough actually those I've played tennis and I played badminton from quite an early age and the sports that I was playing in there wasn't a lot of female competition and I naturally had quite a strong arm so I had a, a so I was always matched against the the male players so I've always kind of naturally been competing against not that to make it a massive issue about you know but physically speaking men are stronger than women and things like that but I've always, had that more it, it's never kind of phased me and i think playing against uh, boys because they weren't men for <laughs> boys but i'm not and having a, a disadvantage competitive disadvantage making you almost want to to win more knowing yeah. that you're and you're statistically not meant to be winning and i think not only kind of physical strength, but I think the mental part of a game, regardless of what you play, is just as important as the physical. Having determination and motivation to win. And even when, like, pardon the pun, when the chips are down, when you're losing in a game, trying to pull yourself back up and kind of get yourself out of that to go on and win a game. is the same as, like, in a poker match. Like... With a chip and a chair, and you go on and win the tournament. It's having that don't give up determination, you know, and tenacity, which I kind of just think I've just naturally had. Yeah. Which is
1: I, I think it's a good trait. And and probably one of the necessary ingredients to a successful poker player is always trying to figure out like, is this bet plus EV? Is there a path to making a plus EV decision? Like, do I have a path to victory here in any way? What does it look like? Let me investigate. Let's explore my curiosity. Um, I think the best players tend to punt uh, quite often. They tend to do things that are unorthodox just to see if there's an edge to be gained, right? Like exploring the curiosity. And as it relates to you know your competitive ventures, what? How do you systematically go about improvement? You know harnessing that desire and will to win what does that look like for you
2: so how how i look at improving my game i would say definitely i mean psychologically speaking we only learn from our mistakes we never learn when we've necessarily done something good um because you know that the, there's just that instant positive gratification whether it's when there is something negative or when you lose and things like that You know, going away and thinking, okay, well, what did I do wrong? How can I think about improving this? And you know, and and I think the thing with poker is that, you know, and and I think this is a big thing for people starting out is that they tend to think that there is only or being led towards the thought that there is only one way of getting better, i.e., to spend. And again, and this is what I hear from a lot of people is to go towards getting somebody to give them the magic wand i.e go to a poker coach and i don't think that is i think there has to be a journey towards that point because i think you have to find out i think every person has to find out how best they learn because it is not the same that which i think is really great about poker is that it's not just one rule for all it depends on you as a person you know some people are naturally more aggressive some people are naturally more cautious and tight you know um and I think it's the thing is is that what I I've seen in people is that you know people are led towards playing in a certain way whether it is I actually think that you should be able to play your own style and then adapt the methodology to fit your style you don't have to change who you are as a person especially as a live poker player as a po- more of a live poker player than online um a lot of people think they need to fit a certain mold in order to to kind of reach that greatness um so i think really for me that i think the main key with poker is actually finding out who you are as a poker player your image um your strengths your weaknesses and then I think that um, looking at different ways to improve. So, reading books. I have got. I have had poker coaching. Discussing poker with other people that play poker as well. Discussing hands. Um, getting things like poker tracker. And maybe you know, obviously that's something slightly more further on uh, in 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 kind of people's poker careers, uh, whatnot uh watching poker on you know there are great things on youtube and and other on other forums which you can watch poker content um twitch again i think is a great tool and it's finding out what best works for you um and for me i find that um i i'm a, i would have said that i was much more of a live poker player i like i think I for most of the time that I've been playing poker, I would have said that my strategy was more exploitation rather than theory led, because I think it was about reading people um, before going down that route. But obviously, since COVID, I wasn't a massive online player and I was predominantly live. And now I've kind of switched and I have gone through the biggest transformation as a poker player um playing online having to then really look at the theory side uh, because you can't get away with doing things online that you would be able to do live um and I I believe it's quite a different game um I think online takes a hell of a lot more stamina um mental stamina um and I think it's yeah i i I went through the ring i i i went in and played online thinking that it would be just so easy because I was able to go in and do the things that I would do live and it didn't work and um I had to do it myself I had to be like I had to lose the money then I had to reflect on on what was going on then I started watching more reducing my level of buy-ins so that I could then almost go back to the beginning and and do that and and really grind and just work out and continue to think like, OK, what what I did in this spot, how should I have done it better? Going and watching more content, speaking to people, getting the coaching and then helping to build myself. And the thing is, is what I think about is great in poker is that it's continuous. There is nobody in the world who can say that they know everything because it's continuously evolving and everybody I think has a part of their game that there is something that somebody else would also want in their game or to be as everybody can offer something different.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, people can say they know everything about poker. They're just full <laughs> of shit. <laughs> you know, they, they can say it as much as they want, but like you said, you know, the game tree is very big and you, you said something too about finding a poker coach and as somebody that's in the co- poker coaching space, And the training space, like you do need to find a coach that resonates with you. And there is no magic wand. There's no like instant fix to becoming a a strong poker player. Nobody's going to hold your hand and do the work for you. You have to do the work. You have to invest your energy, your life force, all of those things. I think that, you know, the describing as a journey is very apt because it is a journey. Um, and I, I think like the poker coaching slash student relationship is a journey too of discovery, and a lot of the weight for communication, um, communicating ideas, communicating theories, communicating exploitations, communicating just all the things from the coach to the student. That's probably ha- has been my highest priority as somebody in the poker coaching space. I think it's something that like a lot of poker coaches don't invest enough time and energy into is being able to transfer knowledge cleanly and clearly in a way that's understood to where there's minimal disconnect. So yeah, it, it's, everything's a a process. And I mean, just going back to, you know, you talking about the pandemic and how it's, you know, kind of forced you to raise your technical game, which I, I think online poker does require a higher uh, technical ability than live poker. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, made me invest lots of energy into studying and strategy building and data analysis. And I can say that in the last year of going through all of this, building out courses, doing all the coaching, learning, growing, like I'm the strongest poker player that I've ever been. And it's not close. And it's kind of crazy that after God six, 16 years of doing this, uh, doing this for 16 years and then spending one year uh, primarily building strategies and coaching people, that this has been you know, the second biggest growth for me as a poker player. And the first was when I first started playing and learning the rules, um, which I think is just kind of crazy. It's not something that I would have ever imagined happening over the course of a year. But um, yeah. the reality is we, we've all got areas to grow and uh, spots to get better in.
2: That's it. I mean, I think that the the pandemic definitely put a challenge in and it's very much that kind of um, psychological perspective of fight or flight. There were those people that, that I've spoken to, you know, predominantly live players when I've gone to play live now who go, you know, I gave it a bit of a go, but it just didn't work, so I gave up. Yeah. For those players who literally, like for me, it was a massive awakening and I'm not going to sit here and and... Uh, I, I don't think anybody can sit here and say they were the best but I genuinely after having you know over a year and a half of of really putting well almost two years well yeah almost two years now of putting the grind in online properly um that I can admit now that there was um I think delusion is a bit of a strong word but I was kind of I I felt like before I kind of put the time into online that I was seeing things through rose-colored spectacles and that I wasn't, that I was slightly ignorant of poker because, again, it was that thing where I was doing well. So therefore, am I going to reflect when I was doing well and I was happy with what I was doing until the point where I went online and the struggle was real and I thought, oh my God, why is this not working for me? This has worked for, for 15, 16 years. Why is this not going my way now? And then again, I could have sat there and be like, well, this is a load of BS. I'll just not play. But I decided to do the very, very hard way. Take a bit of a, I think you you have to be, I think a thing that is about poker is that ego gets in the way. For a lot of poker players, no matter where on the pecking order, you could be a super high roller or you could be just starting out. I think ego is always a massive thing. And I think ego gets in the way of learning and reflection. And I think you you have to be true to yourself and be honest. And I think for me, the point where I started getting better was the point where I was actually honest with myself and actually said, actually, wait a minute it isn't variance. It isn't, oh, the players are crap, whatever. It's actually me and I'm doing something wrong and I need to sort it out because otherwise I am going to keep repeating this pattern. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to, doesn't. it isn't something that happens overnight and it also isn't something that you can hear from other people. You have to learn it yourself and it's a hard lesson to learn But I think if you're the type of person who can get through that, then you will see good things happen. But again, I find it's such a, poker is such a steep hill to climb, especially when you're learning. Like when you're learning stuff that's current now, in a couple of months' time, there'll be something else. You'll have got to that point and you'll be taking the little baby steps and continuing to learn. And it's the fact that, you know, what I find is that Another thing, which I think is po- with with poker players who I, because I obviously speak to a lot of people within the community of people who are wanting to kind of make their way to their towards their career, is that they want to learn everything at once. And I think if you, I, I tried to do that when I would watch videos and say, okay, well, I, he did, they did this, they did that, and they did that. Right, I'm going to do them all. It's not. I think it's it's that desire from people to want to go from zero to a hundred in a second, whether yeah. it's it's not going to be like that. It's going to be quite a slow process. And in order for it to sink in, it has to be a one one thing at a time. And then even I find when you're introducing new things into your game, it won't necessarily go right for you because it's something that's not a part of your game.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's also you mentioned ego and poker is this weird game where the feedback mechanism is distorted you know, the, the immediate results that you have are a distortion of reality and don't tell you the truth. So like, in one way, you need to be assertive and bold and have confidence and faith in your ability to make good decisions over and over, even when you're getting punched in the mouth again and again and again. But on the other hand, you don't want to be delusional. You also have to have humility and ask yourself if, you know, where can I upgrade my game? What am I doing incorrectly? Um, and it's just this long, vicious cycle that everybody who's been in poker has gone through, I think, over and over and over again. I mean, you know, the strongest players that I know will go on a downswing and will have existential thoughts and questions of, like, can I, do I just not have it anymore? Should I just not be playing poker? Am I a, did I wake up one day and I'm a losing poker player? And like, that's how you know, how vicious variant uh, variants and downswings can be. Um, and you just have to like <laughs> have some blind faith that what you're doing will eventually work out at the end. But that doesn't mean that you stop doing the work, you stop trying to grow, you stop trying to improve, you know, in the moment. And on the, the topic of going from like, you know, zero to a hundred overnight, uh, the way that I think about poker is that, you know, poker's, not just one game. It's like a bunch of mini games all put into one game where it's like different phases of the game, things that you need to focus on and learn. And and you know, it's kind of like a car where there's like multiple parts that all work together to where the engine fires and you're able to go um and as it relates to improving your poker game, the only thing that's ever made sense to me is to isolate the parts of your car, take it out, work on that specific part and then put it back in and then find another part, take it out, isolate it, work on it, put it back in and just go through it systematically because the game is just too big to learn all at once. It takes too much time, too much energy, too much effort and you just get overwhelmed and you just kind of start doing a bunch of things very poorly, which isn't going to move the needle as it relates to your long-term results.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean at the end of the day as well, um you've got to love what you do. And like you don't you don't wanna you wanna enjoy the process. You're not like I know obviously because it's involves money, money becomes a factor. And especially when, you know, for those people who do it just as a solitary living, again, I can you know, I I did that over over COVID. And it and it does put a bit of the pressure in. And when it takes the love away, the whole your whole mindset just changes. And I think you know for those people who do it um you know even recreationally or or you know do it for a living and have it hasn't have another form of support in terms of income it's 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 like you're saying it's not just about that one game it's not just about seeing that big score you want to be a better poker player but you also want to i think having the love and continuous love for the game is massively important because otherwise I think those kind of pressures just lead you to having downswings and it is, it does become a vicious cycle. And, you know, money isn't the, for, well, for me speaking, money isn't, um, the B-L-N-D-L. I want to be a better poker player and I want to enjoy this journey.
1: Well, money's not a great driver in general for putting in a lot of effort into an en- endeavor that you think is not fun, that you don't, get joy from and i think that like it's a mistake that lots of folks make is they don't necessarily want to play poker they want to make money and they Mm -hmm. view poker as the vehicle in which to make money um and that's what gets them excited but you've got to love the game you've got to love competing you know you have to have uh You know, the iron will, this desire that you knock me down, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to come back after you. I'm going to figure out um, what I'm doing wrong. I'm going to play better uh, tomorrow. I'm just constantly improving. Like, you have to have that desire. And if you don't have it, um, then don't even consider playing poker for a living. Play recreationally, play as a hobby under the reality that, like, there are people that are working harder than you, that love this game more than you, that are investing their time, their resources, just everything they have into becoming a better poker player. And it's very difficult to compete with that. You know, if, if you're not willing to go that extra mile, it's very, very difficult. So for the, you know, for the podcast listener, bear that in mind as you're pursuing this game, like you need to love the game itself else. you just, you're not going to be able to compete, um, where you want to compete. You can have fun, but I, I think just view poker from that lens of like, it's a fun hobby. It's something I enjoy doing, but don't try to pursue it. Um, you know, professionally.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, what I think is interesting, especially now is that, you know, there are, you know, for those people who represent, um, the poker companies um, as ambassadors um, I think it's quite interesting how winning necessarily and tournament winnings or cash winners isn't necessarily the main is, is that there isn't one type of poker player that there are poker players there for different reasons you know whether that is for marketing whether that is to inspire whether that is to, to coach um, you know like on Twitch and things like that or coaching and, and, and learning and things like that you know, um, and I think it it does depend on what your motivational points is like for me, my well, one of my motivations is to encourage and motivate other women to um play poker and to also grow their confidence um and I know this is a very contentious issue within the poker community. you either in support or you know you're from that kind of group that don't necessarily believe the divide is true and and of of the genders i mean for me i can't say it matters whether i am playing at a women's event or whether i'm playing a mixed event but i know from speaking to a lot of women who are trying to get into the game how unbelievably um oh god I'm trying to think of the word it's uh how unbelievably intimidating it is for women to join the game in entering a predominantly male industry and predominantly male fields you know and the amount of women I've, I've spoke to where they're saying they're only comfortable playing in their local pub or playing online because they're afraid of being bullied or do you know what I mean of not feeling comfortable mm-hmm. and it's um you know when I it, although we, I, I've never really felt like that I've experienced um I've experienced things not not I mean these are very few and far between but I have experienced things as a woman where it would not be the same if I was not if because of my gender. So comments that have been made and things like that where. It, if it was the, if it was the other area, it wouldn't be said. And and that can come across as intimidating. And, you know, um, so I, I understand. So for me, a big reason, especially why I um, put myself out there, you know, within social media and on Twitch and things like that is is to be there as an encouragement to other, not necessarily women, but other players to, to kind of have that confidence to be, be you. And again, to, to say you could, you can do it. Don't, don't be scared. Give it your go. Um, and also, what I was talking about before is that don't feel like you have to fit a mold of a yeah. poker play. We'll see the, the the sunglasses and like very stiff and very like no expression. And it's like you know what you you put your per- I for me, I put my personality into my poker, especially when I'm playing live. I like to have fun. I like to be a character and I think that also is part of my game and you know it's like um my the thing that I'm most known for is that my favorite hand is 7-2 uh, of 7-2 hearts the worst hand in what well, the worst hand in poker um and I remember actually it's like um I've been called out and I'm not gonna say who it is but on a final table I was called out by another by a, by a professional asking me why my favorite hand was 7-2 as if to discourage me from having that as a favorite hand, because why would you? That's not what poker players do. They don't have their fair, you know. And it's like, well, why not? Everybody's oh. going to turn around, and say their favorite hand is pocket aces. How boring would that be? And it's like, it's that idea of individuality within poker that you 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 want personalities and you want people to to feel that when they're growing their game, that they don't lose track of who they are, that they're trying to fit in a mold because at the end of the day, it's not natural. You're not, you've got to be you within that kind of thing.
1: It's like my mom used to tell me when I accused her of loving my sister more than me. You know, I I love you both uh, differently. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love all the hands in poker just differently. But yeah, I mean, we need personality, right? We need people to be themselves, to be authentic. We don't need robots, uh, with, you know, sunglasses and hoodies and never having a discussion. One thing I I'll say for cash games is I I think cash games tend to be a little bit more fun and a little bit more laid back than, especially as how poker is represented on TV. Uh, cash games are just more, yeah, it's just a more relaxed atmosphere. People kind of easygoing. Uh, it's something that one of the, one of the reasons why I, I prefer cash games more than tournaments is like, Yeah, it's a fun atmosphere, Um, but yeah, the game can be intimidating. And one of the most, one of the most naturally talented human beings that I've interacted with in my poker journeys, Vanessa Selbst, and you know, just I was twenty-one years old, and like when you meet people who are supremely talented in this game, um, at at least I, I recognize it very quickly. Like They will say things, the way they think about things is just different than other people. The way they communicate is so profound, but also simple. Um, those types of human beings, they're pretty rare. But uh, yeah, she's was certainly, you know, I, I was friends with Vanessa before she was on ESPN the first time when she like bombed off with like Deuce 5 suited, I think. But it was like, it was a given that, she was going to be a massive success before Mm. she ever did ever won a tournament ever did anything like to me, it was like a very obvious thing. This is a, an extremely high level thinker who's just basically bound for success. If she uh, pursues poker with everything, and doesn't like do have a career change Um, which I think now, yeah, now I think she's in the hedge fund world, but uh, yeah, I mean,
2: but what a force was, I mean, again it's that no bs she wasn't going to be there was no question there was no pushing her around and she was a very strong representation of, of female poker but I, I i think it's actually um really refreshing to see so many different types of personalities within the female poker community you know you like vanessa Selves, like Vanessa Cade for instance and what and what she's been through and and that not only within the poker and winnings but also what she's actually been through uh, career wise over the past couple of years and her tenacity and things like that you know um you know like like Victoria Coran Mitchell who are intellectuals and showing that type of very almost like sophisticated style of of poker very non-intrusive but you know and again we're talking live and you know and as I one of my favorite um poker players of all time happens to be Jennifer Tilly because i just think um she oozes charisma she's funny she she puts the fun into poker and she's not intimidated but she it's a very flirtatious vibe that she kind of gives and i think um yeah. I, I, I love the fun that she brings and I think that that's what she promotes is the fun of having fun. Yeah. Po- like yeah. games and things like that. I just find her. So, and you, you want to have people who are entertaining to watch, who, are uh, who the poker community can engage with. Absolutely.
1: Well. I mean, that's, we, we need characters in the poker world. Um, just more, more and more characters. And I, I think, uh, well, this may be too early, but I, I think Jennifer Tilly is going to be on this podcast in the near future. Oh, we've we've right had conversations. Right um, yeah. So excited for that. I know she just got finished oh, they, filming high stakes poker.
2: A <laughs> biscuit. I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Art goes out to, um, I, I just think, yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the best poker couples. Her and uh, and Phil, I just love it. I just think again, what a combination of of of. And again, Phil is another poker player who doesn't feel the need to um, be put into a box or or to fit into a mold. Again, he's such a unique style. Definitely something to be admired, where people just do them. Yeah, and so confident in in being them, and I think are a great representation to 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 people out there.
1: Yeah. You can be yourself. It's okay.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. The Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over sixty optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com/bootcamp.
3: Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe fifteen years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site, kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step.
1: Once you jumped in bootcamp, what was your experience
3: like? Well, first off, I realized that I had been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal, you know, that that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot.
1: What was your experience like playing cards post
3: bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch-up, um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re- really work together, even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome.
1: What's your sample size of winning post boot camp?
3: I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father, and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size.
1: Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month, and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com/bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. I told the story before. This is tying back into something that you said earlier about approaching the game um, in different ways. And, uh, you know, the story is that in The Art of Learning, By Josh Waitzkin, there's a chess grandmaster who meditates for a few hours in the morning every day and basically to get in touch with his feelings and how he's feeling on that day. Is he feeling more aggressive? Is he feeling more passive? Like what is his state of being um, so that he can deploy that strategy? in his chess matches later on in the day so that, you know, everything flows so that it resonates with how he's feeling that day. And I think there's just very important lessons to learn there. Like some days you feel more aggressive, some days you feel more passive, um, and leaning into how you're wired for that day, not just like as a human being, but just like in an individual day, individual session, um, and then just going with the flow, just good things tend to happen when you go about life in that way. So you're absolutely right. Like there's multiple ways to skin a cat, as they say, there's multiple ways to being a winning poker player. Um, do it with a way that resonates with you. Um, not to say just do whatever it is you want to (laughs) do and that's okay, but go about, go about it in the way that that makes sense to you.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's about adapting, but I think Poker is about adapting constantly because you're adapting to the way that the game develops. But I think it's like what I kind of feel is that when people just try to replicate other people in it, it's it's it doesn't necessarily work because it's like it's not something that you can just ch- like the whole thing about changing overnight. And oh, if I behave in this way or if I do this, it's gonna make me a winning poker player. No, it's like this person has developed themselves and it's like I and mean, I and mean, it but it's that whole thing of confidence like you should be confident and building that confidence with your own game and your own style i find that trying to be an authentic and replicate it won't necessarily do you a favor in the long run because you in order to progress you need to be authentic you need to be you and develop you whether there's if you copy and imitate you're not really developing sure you.
1: Absolutely. And you also there are things that are missing. You know, like I, I've made many plain explained videos and you just can't verbalize every single data point, every single variable that you're considering in real time when you're playing poker. And so like this is like when I'm trying to verbally explain everything that I'm doing, right? Like things get left out. There's oversimplifications, uh variables that I don't state. And On the flip side of that, like if you're watching somebody play poker on TV and they take a line with a specific hand in a specific situation, you don't exactly know why they're doing what they're doing. The commentators will guess as to why they're doing what they're doing. But it could be for a variety of reasons that are just totally unknown. So it's not exactly shocking that you just take something you see, like the monkey see, monkey do approach, and it, it's not going to work out the same way for you as it did for them because you're probably not applying it in the same way that they were or don't understand fundamentally you know, what's going on. Um, and so like you said, you know, you just have to take it step by step, layer by layer, and grow systematically you can't you just can't uh become a crusher overnight it takes a lot of hard work and dedication
2: so basically we're just saying let's just be onions exactly let's be onions Stop. you see this is it we could have just said that from the beginning that would have been the podcast over like and to summarize <laughs> we are onions
1: the end period
2: yeah. Stop. exactly
1: very efficient and-
2: well, yeah, I mean, I, um, oh God, I was thinking of something then, you know, yeah, because I, like, especially, you know, when you were saying, Brad, about when you see things on TV, especially from a live point of view, I find is that, you know, those players will be, a, will have been sat on those tables for hours. And this is something which I kind of develop naturally. And I think that is something not necessarily that you can teach. It's just kind of a natural thing, you know, when you're playing an exploitative game is that you know, what I found was that I would be able to sit on a table for hours and memorise different hands in terms of showdown and look at different play- like players who I was playing with and anything that stuck out in terms of, okay, well, this is what they did when they were bluffing. This is what they did when they had it and trying to put together, it's like a patchwork quilt or a puzzle and you're trying to put that puzzle together. So, you know, before I then put this online you know whole theory side into my game or or put more of it into my game it was basically my game was um based on me memorizing hands after hours and trying to build a profile for each of those players so that it wouldn't necessarily be that I had the best hand I just knew that they were they didn't
1: yeah you're finding weaknesses you're you're building out a profile for the opponents you're playing against, trying to find natural weaknesses that you can exploit, you know? And on that same note, I do think that that's a part of poker that has uh, gotten to be criminally undervalued over these last five or six years where like, yeah, you're playing a game against human beings and human beings are predictable and human beings make mistakes And a lot of times, uh, you know, the best poker players will know somebody's strategy better than their opponent themselves know it so that they can then exploit that strategy, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems like what you're doing when you play live poker.
2: Yeah. And I think as well as looking at others, um, other poker players, before I did that, it was for me knowing what my what I was being perceived as, what my image was on the table, to, then you can then is almost like uh, reverse psychology. I know that this is what if they think I'm particularly aggressive or on the looser side, this is when I can get the most value. Yeah, if doing it, and you know, and again, the whole thing about never showing cards and things. Again, I I think that's dependent on your game. So I used to show bluffs. Do certain players who will, you know, and then when the time was right, I'd do exactly the same thing, have it and get paid off. And I think it's knowing that, like, of what my perception was to then use it almost against the players. Because you're not the only one on the table that's looking and working that out. Sure. So I think for me, the best thing was knowing how am I being perceived? What type of player am I? but how am I being perceived? What player? What type of player do they think I am? And they don't have to be the same thing.
1: Yeah, I personally believe that it's okay to show cards, uh, like just for strategic purposes. You know, not to just like inflate your own ego or whatever it is, but strategically give information away that you can harness and leverage against your opponents in the future. Like that's just a part part of the game, and makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I know there, I've had guests on the show that are very anti ever giving away any sort of information, but yeah, I, I think it's just, it's part of the game. It's just gamesmanship. It's a part of poker. It's one of the things that like makes the game fun. Um, I think that, uh, I have lots of opinions about like talking in poker and I'm, of I was- the yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that like, if somebody like jams on the river, like I, I would be okay with somebody like showing their cards and being like, yo, I'm going to fold this. Like, what would you do? You know, like anything to like get a read that to me is fun for the game. Like it's fun for the viewer. It's good entertainment, but you know, of course you can't do any of that these days. You can't even talk anymore. <laughs> I think, but,
2: uh, yeah, um, been quite well it, it's it's getting frowned upon isn't it but do you think that's because of the overuse of speech play to where certain players especially who've been highlighted the media take it to that level where it's too far and then form I, it?
1: I think it's an overcorrection i think that like i think that they policed someone who was clearly annoying and taking it too far right mm-hmm. but i don't think there was any like People being up in arms when, you know, Negranyu was talking, you know, back in 2003, 2004, 2005, like during hands, like just being outgoing, gregarious, having a discussion, like in the middle of a hand um, playing, you know, the, the gamesmanship game that to me is like, that's a part of poker. And I, I think that, yeah, it's just like an overcorrection because of you know, the one guy that was just being like kind of obnoxious about it. And I, I think also, uh, Jamie Gold probably didn't help things. Um, although lots of people like the Jamie Gold, uh, speech play in his WSOP run. Um, I played against Jamie in cash game. And I will say that taking a minute or two minutes talking every hand before making a decision does get old pretty quickly in a cash game setting. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think just outright banning it is just like a, a big overcorrection.
2: I mean, I know well, uh, and you know, he, but I think it's, it's very much like a Simon Cowell thing for well, like it's part of his shtick. It's his brand image. Um, and it's that I don't mean, know. Will's kind of idea is that no press is bad press, kind of thing. So even if you're coming across as you, you're affecting somebody else's game, but I think yeah. he, it, may, it definitely made him stand out in the poker world. It, it definitely did. Made him stand out.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think when you say no press is bad press, right, That that makes me think that like basically it's selfish, right? Like it's just a selfish thing that's about, about you and don't get me wrong. Like, again, I think there is a place for it, but I think at some point there is a line and the line gets crossed. And then like now, <laughs> now there's not much speech play at all. Um, which no. ultimately I think is bad for poker. You know what I mean?
2: But yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same school of thought with you. I'm not, um, I am not opposed. I, I think speech play it's like, but the thing is, I think with speech play, if you use it too much, it can lose its effectiveness. Sure. And then I, there's a line, isn't there? Whether it's effective and good strategy or it's essentially trying to put players on tilt and making them feel uncomfortable. And would you not agree that there's a bit of a line there with, with regards to speech play?
1: For sure. And again, I'm in the camp that poker, like pros or higher level players should be playing poker and making the game an enjoyable experience for the folks they're playing against to make the game of poker sustainable. You make people miserable, then people don't want to play poker anymore, which I think is ultimately bad long-term for the game of poker. So yeah, there's a time and a place and it has a utility, but just because something has a utility doesn't mean you should use it over and over and over and over again, annoy the bejesus out of everybody and make like when, when you show up at a table, uh, nobody wants you to be there. I mean, I, I would feel like that's just not a great poker experience personally.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so funny that obviously as you, as you go and you start playing more, and you notice people. It's like, I've, I have a particularly aggressive style. I would have said, and, um, it's just funny, you know, when you see the raised eyebrows. But it's not because you are. They don't. They don't want to play with you because they know that you're aggressive. Not like, but like, like. Do you know what I mean? In terms sure. of your style, It mm-hmm. becomes a joke uh, when you sit down on a table with somebody that you know and that you have played with. But that's just kind of friendly, um, like banter kind of things. But yeah, it, it, you'd you'd hate to. Be perceived by others in 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 a in a negative regard um, with regards to the way that you carry yourself. And you know, although I have used speech play, and it probably doesn't factor massively in my game because, again, I think it loses effect the way it, how effective it becomes. Um, I I I, I do kind of have. I think it's a long-term strategy you're playing against you also don't want to make yourself out to be a target i think sometimes when you put yourself out like that you get a target on your back and then you encourage others to kind of want to get you out
1: yeah you annoy people (laughs) yeah you know you annoy people and they don't want to play poker with you anymore they want to they want to come after you and people like I mean, Devilfish talked a lot, right? Like when Devilfish played poker, he was outgoing, gregarious, talked a lot, but people were happy to play poker with him, right? That's the difference. Um, people enjoyed playing poker with Devilfish. Um, when people are not enjoying playing poker with you, that's very problematic in many different ways. And I mean, I guess the problem is like, if, if the players don't police themselves and hold themselves accountable to that then that forces uh wsop or the powers that be to take action in this giant giant way that in my opinion is not ultra beneficial for the long-term health of poker but that was just the best they could come up with to prevent um things like that from happening
2: right so no no more speech play now
1: I guess not. I mean, I I was at the WSOP the year where they said like no F-bombs either, which I think was another big, big, uh, overstep because it was just applied arbitrarily by the dealers. Like if the dealer liked you, then (laughs) they're not going to report you for saying fuck. But if the dealer didn't like you, then you're going to be reported instantly. Um, and and yeah, I think context is, is key there too. We're like, You get busted in a tournament you're just like ah fuck like that's a little different than yelling directly at someone you know
2: it's completely like with regards to swearing and things like that obviously an overuse and things like that is inappropriate but again it's it depends upon the context in which you're using that language because those kind of words can be used in 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 a in a in a comical way or again you're not necessarily directing it at others. You could be directing it yourself. There's so many times I've called myself an effing whatever on the table because if you've made a mistake and, um, and people find it funny because you just, but that's, again, being a competitive person and when you've made a mistake or anything like that, you you, you know, it's just a way of you being able to, it, it, of, of a method of, of, of venting, you know, be, putting more of these kind of things into play actually stops you it's like we're we're then becoming more robotic in the way that we have to play because we have to bend to these, these restrictions kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, you can use it self deprecating and comedic as well. Like I, I got smashed in Cherokee and the only time I've played live poker in the last few years, um, quite recently, and like was stuck four or five thousand and just kind of like stood up out of my chair and was like, well, that was a fucking blast. You know, and everybody laughed and then I walked away. Right. And it's like there again, it's a tool, use it appropriately and it's okay. Use it inappropriately. And that's when it stops being okay. But just removing, removing something that has utility from the game of poker, I think is just not great for the long term of poker, but I'm just one person and that's my opinion. Mm. Um, all right, so I have some some lightning round questions if you want to segue to those. What's the most unexpected thing that's come from your journey through the world of poker?
2: Uh, the most unexpected thing? Um, well, when I was approached by Unibet um, last October, oh no, sorry, it was last November, um, I'd literally only been streaming for a month on Twitch and, and, and was approached to be part of, of, of their community and to stream for them. So for me, that was extremely uninspe- unexpected because I'd only been watching Twitch for about a year. Um, and um, it, it, it it's not something that came natural to me. I am not a technical biscuit at all. I am probably one of the, the least technical people. And, and running a stream and then... Creating my own stream, running it, and um, and 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 doing it hours upon end whilst doing multiple tables was all a very very new experience. And get to getting to approach just a month after I started, and somebody you know saying that you know we like what you do and 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 we think you'd be a, you'd be quite a good part of our team. It was very very flattering and very encouraging, and, and I now do really really love it definitely.
1: Awesome, the Twitch streets. If you could imagine a carbon copy of yourself who's just now getting into the game of poker, um, what would you? What advice would you give to that carbon copy?
2: Starting out, um, God, I did it the hard way. I just, did, I did it the very, very hard way. I would just say. Um, probably the main thing is is to be open don't um to be open to everything that comes your way to be open to all different types of learning to what people say test the waters and yeah don't be afraid to be who you are regardless of how many people come up to you and go you shouldn't do this this way or you know um yeah, and and I, I, again, what I've said throughout this whole podcast is don't let people change you. you Absolutely, know? yeah. Um, people may steer you down a route, but if you don't feel like it, you don't need to go there. Feel confident in who you are, and don't be afraid to grow that confidence. It will take a long time. Rome was yeah, Rome was not built in a day. I think the carbon copy of me may have thought at the time when I started doing this that it was a bit of a quicker fix, but you do learn that very, very quickly. And just stick with it. Be patient. You are good at what you do. Um, It will take time, but enjoy every single minute of it, because that is what the whole thing is about, is enjoyment.
1: And as somebody who's obsessed with games of strategy, Um, who has been obsessed with games of strategy his whole life and has always mapped things out on like how to win at tic-tac-toe or how to win at spades when I was a kid, just obsessed with strategy and being the best uh, poker player that I could be. I'm always learning things. Even today I'm constantly making mistakes. I've never played a perfect session. And that's just the reality, 17 years in somebody that's carved out a career for himself in this world, I'm still learning, I'm still being humbled. there's still growth. Um, so, yeah, just accept it. right? Accept that that's always a part of this game, and be humble enough to be humble enough to reflect on feedback that comes from a caring place. Um, feedback that's not built to destroy you, but feedback that comes from somebody who's invested in you as a poker player. Reflect on that. Don't dismiss it. Um, Consider it. You don't have to take it, but you need to reflect on it um, just the same.
2: I do think that with people like myself and very, very competitive people is that it is not easy to take criticism. Um, And I think you go through this journey of being quite um quick to block that off to put your walls up when you're being faced with criticism and trying to deflect but I think that you know again like a learning process that you have to go through after a certain amount of times of deflection you realize that maybe it might be worth listening what's worth What's the worst that could happen in actually listening and trying a different point of view out? Because then if it doesn't work, at least you know that it doesn't work. Whether Whereas if you haven't tried it, how do you know? But it is, I find, and I can say that I have found it in the past hard to take that. But when I started opening myself up, I found that my results got so much better. I was feeling so much more comfortable. And I think as soon as you start being open, you can't close that book. You there will be open and then it will, the incline will be a lot faster.
1: Yeah. And it's a two way street too. Like, um, you know, just had Nick Howard on and he talked about uh, the emotional upgrades that he's made in the past couple of years. And one of those is that like, whenever you're giving feedback, the person you're giving feedback to has to feel safe. And they have to know that you care, right? Those are two natural components in communication that make the person more receptive to what you're going to say. So in that sense, like not taking criticism or not taking feedback, um, while uh, the player is, is responsible, the person giving the feedback also bears responsibility into effective communication so that the person they're communicating to is more receptive and can let their guard down to you know, really take what they're saying to heart, because
2: um, it is difficult in poker. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants to admit they have any weaknesses. Because like you know, it's a natural thing for any weaknesses when you expose you, those weaknesses for people to take advantage of it, especially in poker. So again, it's it's having those conversations with people that you trust and building yeah. that relationship. You know, i've I've got um a a, a group of um. Of people and some pros, where I would, um, they're not doing it to gain anything from me, that they are just, you know, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'm, you know, within the Unibet team, Daro Kearney and and Ian Simpson. um, And laughing.
1: Can't forget laughing.
2: You can't forget laughing. You can't forget that that picture that it took on the bubble. unreal and happy birthday for David from yesterday I did put it on Facebook but yeah again latest birthday again for David but um yeah I had a lot of conversations with Dara and Ian and um again they don't really particularly have anything to gain from talking to me and and offering their support but it's just the fact that they that you can I can feel comfortable in going to them and, and saying things, and you know it may not necessarily be about specific hands, but it's just being able to have somebody to talk to and feel open that it's not going to be used against you it's it's good to kind of find uh, either one person or a network of people where um it's a safe environment to talk about poker,
1: yeah, and you know those two that you mentioned, Ian and Dara are both natural teachers. Um, Ian, Ian was a teacher, so they enjoy it, right? They love giving back. They love communicating and teaching and helping. I think that's an innate part of their, just their being. It's, it's who they are just, um, and on that same note, just great human beings, uh, that have they've been on this pod multiple times, lots of interactions with Dara, David and Ian and yeah, just amazing, amazing human beings. Um, so if you could gift all poker players a book to read what would it be and why? And it doesn't have to be necessarily about poker.
2: I mean, I would, I don't know if it would have to be about poker. Um, I don't know. I've got some weird tasty books. So I'm not going to reveal. Not, not, not like that. No, no <laughs> Oh, no. Nah. I, I, I find the best books are on, um, oh God, this is, I, I like reading books about serial killers. Um, so yeah, I, I just find it really interesting about the psychology of, of that. Um, so yeah, you can edit that out of the podcast if you like. <laughs> not just like i just have to find it fascinating um to to read about true life so maybe not recommend for people um to start doing that uh not promoting it scientists. um I'm, I'm, i love I that you,
1: you have to qu- qualify that you don't want people to be serial killers
2: <laughs> Yeah, I know.
1: please just don't
2: do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know there's the me reading of serial killer books is no affiliation with Unibet Poker. Just <laughs> just to make it clear, I've said too much already.
1: Headline, uh, Unibet Poker uh, sponsors are serial killers.
2: Yes. God, I can see the headlines now. Yeah, I think that would look brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think... Uh, I'm not a massive reader of books in terms of strategy, but... I read Dara's PKO um, strategy book and I definitely found it um, one of the easier, e- e- easier to get. It, it, the way that he kind of explains it, the, the font and the text that he's used, it, it allows you to make notes. The graphs in there are really good um, and the charts and things like that. Um, so I, yeah, I, I do recommend his book. And I know he does audios of that book as well. Um, and I definitely I mean for me, PKO is actually probably my favorite type of um of game um and reading his book definitely and and the way that he just puts things makes it really easy to understand. Um, and I think that that's obviously when you're writing poker books, you need to make it accessible to people. Um, so yeah I, I think that yes, yeah, I would recommend that.
1: Yeah, uh, Dara and Barry did a really good job. On that book, I could, I could make the Barry Carter serial killer joke now. That's just the lowest hanging fruit, but uh, I'll leave that one on the table. He's yeah, uh, Barry's a great guy. Sometimes he, he can take a look, some pictures that maybe <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he looks a little serial killer esque. But
2: uh, now we're on Barry- the topic of serial killers. This podcast is now going to be entitled the one about serial killers.
1: For sure, of course.
2: I know. Um, gotta, people get
1: it it is but <laughs> better to be remembered than than forgotten right better to stand out yeah. than not stand out at all
2: although um, we are not saying for people to start killing people to be remembered just just so everybody's clear that when we're, we're not saying that I, yeah i well,
1: don't I, want mean, don't
2: don't, don't want to be
1: like that, subpoenaed in court um that i was the inspiration <laughs> what's your current big goal in in the poker world
2: i think my goal and i know this is probably a goal for a lot of people um but i i i would like to move to being fully professional yeah i i would love to be an ambassador um in poker um i just think yeah i i do have such a love for the game i'm very Willing to learn and to accept kind of help and things like that, and um, I'm extremely determined and driven. Um, you know, I'm kind of at the point where you know, I definitely guidance is 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 really important and, and to get to that next step. But you know, I don't I don't go down the route of being staked, um, just because I feel that it would definitely change the dynamic to my game, playing with other people's money. Um, so I decide to do it the long and slow. Process um, of building the bank role. Um, but I also know that that's down to me. But yeah, I think that whatever opportunities may be in the future, definitely I see poker within my life. Um, I just love it. I, I love the community. I love about, you know, about how you can stand out and how you can also like help others. Like I think that, you know, it's like the, the coaching and help that I've received, um, whenever I've had people come and ask me, it's, it's always flattering. Um, but it's nice to be able to, to pass on that wisdom to others. So it isn't just a selfish for selfish reasons. And you know, that you can support others within the community, like, um, like they support you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so
2: absolutely. I would like to have a, a career in, um, in poker and and yeah that's that's the dream
1: well keep doing the work you've got really good connections and people who are extremely supportive and good humans in your corner with dara and ian and david um yeah just keep plugging away that's that's really all you can do and uh final question where can the chasing poker greatness listener find you or learn more about you on the world wide web
2: Um, so either on my social media, uh, Emily Galancy, AKA risk it for a biscuit. Um, I also stream on Unibet poker every Thursday night. Um, and yeah, I do have my own Twitch channel risk it for a biscuit poker.
1: Yeah. Um, See how I tricked you into bringing on a horde of serial killers right to your doorstep. Boom.
2: I know the people are not. Run for the hills, guys, honestly. <laughs> um, and then now on the Ch- Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, I can now be found.
1: There you so go. Thank you very- yeah, my pleasure, Emily. Great getting to know you. Best of luck. And yeah, we'll, we'll do a round two. Check in, see how you're doing in the next year yeah. or so.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brad. And, uh, and good luck with setting up the uh, with the coaching and everything. It looks fantastic on everything on the on the website. So yeah, I hope it all works well for you. Thank you. All right. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.